Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. I've been battling allergies for years now. Let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available release sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's up, gang? Welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazde. I'm so pumped to have you here with me. Now, listen, The Greatness Machine, we're about two things. Number one, people who are living their passions. And number two, those who are creating greatness in the world and doing both of these things despite the odds against them. Each episode, we're going to feature interviews with game changers, business leaders, you know, telling us their origin stories, what made them tick, what got them to where they are now. Why? So it can help you step into your greatness within your life, your business, and your career. Occasionally, you might hear a few solo episodes from myself, moi, as I say, as I leverage my 20 years of entrepreneurship as a CEO and founder to help you grow and level up in your journey to scale your life and your business. So, Come be a fly on the wall, enjoy the conversation, and I'm stoked to have you here with me. Hey guys, what's up? What a great episode. Just interviewed my main man, Bob Glazer, today. Talked all about his new book, Elevate Your Team. I mean, Bob is a stud. He's got the Elevate podcast, his original book, Elevate, which was a Wall Street Journal bestseller. But we're talking all about his brand new book that comes out on March 8th, which I believe is today, the day we're going to air this episode. Oh, just went deep on how do you elevate your team? How do you get your team to the next level? So hope you enjoy the episode. Stay tuned. Guys, welcome to today's episode of The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mishazade, and boy, do we have a special guest. My main man, Bob Glazer, is in the house. What's up, Bob? Darius, thanks for having me back. Oh, man. I always love having Bob Glazer here. Just coming here to <laughs> talk about all the amazingness he's creating in the world and all the good stuff. So, uh, man, how you been? Uh, I've been good. Yeah, I, I, I've been good. I, you're, you're catching me off two weeks of vacation, so I'll either be sharp or rusty. I'm not. I'm not sure uh, which one yet. All right, I'm, I'm gonna. I'm gonna go for sharp. If okay. it ends up rusty, then we're gonna have to <laughs> grease the skids, as they say. Um, do you mind if I little, do a little bit of housekeeping and then uh, we'll get rolling here? Hey, it's your party. Let's do it, dude. Um, so, uh, for listeners who are new to the show, Greatness Machine, we're about two things. People who are living their passions and those who are creating greatness in the world and doing so despite the odds. And my man Bob here is neither short of passion nor greatness. And not, and you're neither short of even overcoming the odds, man. You have done so many badass things in your life. And um, I'm so excited to talk about that and then some. Um, so, uh, if you don't mind, I want to give a little bit of our background. Is that cool? Sure. You for that? Yeah. Awesome. So uh, I met Bob at Gathering of Titans, uh, like 2017 or 18. I think it was. When, when did you graduate from uh, EOMIT? Uh, oh, I get I get that backwards. But yeah, I think it was. I think it was. And we met the last one before COVID. I think so. That was probably 19. Oh, that was 19. Okay, yeah. I, I thought you had come before then. Um, so we met at at yeah. That's right. So that you're all right. That is when we met. So we met at, at 19. Things my wife never for, says. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not like that, man. I always admit when I'm wrong. Um, so yeah, we met at, at GOT, uh, which I talk about all the time on the show. And um, and I was like, and Bob, is, uh, you, you have an affiliate marketing company that that you've now since like, you're no longer the CEO, you're just the chairman. Is that correct? Correct. I have begun replacing myself. But yes, I'm still still involved. What, wait, I, what I love about Bob is you're very precise. What percentage of your time do you spend at, at Acceleration Partners? Um, for this year, it's about a day or two a week. Uh, I thought you were going to give me a percent. I felt like, <laughs> like last time I, I, last time you're like, I spend no more than 12.7% of my time. 
<laughs> you know, we'll do 1.5 days divided by five, whatever the quick math is. Yeah, there you go. It's like 30%, I think. Um, so, um, so yeah, so, so Bob, um, you've now taken a step back from the, from the CEO role, chairman of the board at Acceleration Partners. But, but man, you, you have your hands in a lot of different pots, and I was really impressed by that. And then Bob's first book came out, Elevate. Well, it was your second book because I know you had a book specific yeah, marketing for the affiliate book. marketing space. Um, but he had, he had a book that came out, Elevate, which just crushed. Wall Street Journal bestseller. It was a USA Today bestseller as well. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so the the book was was nationally recognized book um in ways that's like, you know, some of us like myself like we got the Amazon bestseller like that's cool like you know like to get that but to get on the Wall Street Journal and, and the USA today that's like next level. It's hard to do. Uh Bob did that. Uh I saw that he had a podcast and just, you know, and really was really making a lot of strides in the world and was like, I was like, man, I want to get to know this guy. So I uh, got to know him at GOT. Since then, we've had him on the show a couple of times. Um, and we're here today to talk all about his new book, Elevate Your Team, um, as well as all the other greatness he's created in the world. Um, if you don't mind, Bob, I, I do want to give your formal bio. Is that cool? And then go, uh, go for hop, it. Hop yeah. To it. All right, cool. Uh, so I mentioned uh, a second ago, uh, founder and chairman of the board of Acceleration Partners. Uh, two things that I really love about Bob Glassdoor Employees Choice Awards winner two years in a row, uh, where his literally he, he, he was voted like one of the best places to work in the whole country on Glassdoor. And not only that, he was also ranked the number two seat ranked CEO in America on Glassdoor for SMBs. Um, that's a, that's a commonality we have. I was actually number nine. He was number two. So we both share that, that award, which is hard to get. I mean, like you got to really crush it to get like harder to keep than to get it too. I, yeah. <laughs> we can talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's the, 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 they, 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 there's a bit of gamification there if you ask me, but uh, you know, they roll your scores off and all that good stuff. Um, author of Elevate, as I mentioned. Also, uh, we talked about last time he was on the show, How to Thrive in the Virtual Workplace that he had written during COVID and put that out. And we're here today to talk about Elevate Your Team, his new book that's coming out this spring, as well as the podcast, Elevate the the Elevate Podcast. So, man, welcome to the show, Bob. Uh, Thank you. So, dude, uh, man, what's new in your world? I mean, a lot's been going on since you've been on the show. Tell us a little bit about your decision to, you know, mosey on back to the chairman of the world uh chairman chairman of the board position <laughs> Ch- chairman of the world seat. yeah <laughs> chairman of the world you know yeah tell tell us a little bit about the decision to do that man yeah you know it's it's funny it's intertwined into the into the book um but uh yeah i mean i i, I think that as you as you grow a business and and you've been through this cycle particularly as you grow a fast-growing business if you're growing the rule of 72 right if you're growing and i'd say fast is probably 20 to 30 percent a year uh, every couple of years, you're going to double. And I think every time you double, the jobs are all new, the jobs are all different. And and I think for a while, every time, you know, the company doubled, I was like, do I want to be the CEO of, you know, this size organization? And, you know, it got to a point where um, I was, you know, doing writing and the podcast and some other things. And it just became a night and weekend thing. And it just kind of became 100 hours a week. And I was being pulled in a lot of directions. And when I was looking towards that next evolution, of hey, we're a 350 person company now. Like, do I do I want to be the CEO of that? Do I want to be managing the team? You know, the answer was I don't. I was like, I, I'm getting away from more of the things that I like to do around around creating strategy. Uh, you know, helping build up our leaders. Th- those are the things that I want to do. But those those aren't the roles necessarily of the CEO of a 300 to 500 person company. And so, you know, we already had someone on the team who I thought would be a better fit for that role as that shifted. And so. Um, we started a very intentional kind of two-year handover process. We we brought in an investor. We were open with them about you know that that that's the direction that we were going, and and so you know I've I've continued to 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 step back and give him the space that he needs to to lead the organization for the next phase. And so, what was his role before you decided to elevate him in the CEO? He, he was he was president. We we always in the in the traction world, kind of visionary integrator role for for a long time. And so he was uh, head of client services, and then GM, and then president, and you know, a fair amount of the leadership team kind of reported to to him already. Uh, so it was a very logical. You know, he'd been with the business for almost ten years. 
And so hold on. So this happened. You went. You made that decision. In what twenty one or twenty two? So we made the decision actually in nineteen. That would be a kind of two year transition process. We we actually brought on an investor at the end of twenty twenty, and then we fi- formally made that transition in December twenty twenty one. Okay, so so he had been with the company since roughly 2009, 10-ish? Is that, is that uh, right? Yeah, like 10, 10, 11. So now it's probably, he just has 10 years. He'd been with the company for eight or nine years, yeah, when we made that decision initially. And, and when did you start the company? What year was it? Uh, 2007. Okay, so the company is a couple years old. You got this rock star that came in. He got elevated a few times. Um, and then you decided that, Hey, this guy's, I mean, obviously you made a president of the company, which that's a, that's a, that's a huge like stamp of like confidence. Right. And then made the decision that he was the right person to become, to succeed you as CEO. Were you just like, man, I don't want to spend all my time running, being the CEO. And this guy, it seems like he's a good fit. I mean, obviously if he's the integrator and you're the visionary, I mean, not, I mean, Tim Cook's a good example of someone that made the the vision uh, integrator to visionary or integrated to CEO jump, but how did you have any concerns about, Hey, I'm moving. This guy as a great operator into the role, but like, I mean, yeah, I mean, we're I, losing I think, the visionary, you know? Yeah. You know, we had the concerns in the same way you'd have concerns around should a visionary be operating a business this, this size. Yeah. But, but you know, he, he did the work. Um, he took the feedback and I, I think everyone's role needs to evolve. You know, sometimes you play the role you're given and it needs to evolve. But, you know, I looked there and I said, look, I like being the R&D department. And when we were 50 and 100 and 200 people, the R&D department was, I mean, when you're, when you're, when you're, you know, 25 people, it's half the business. It's, it's, you, you're so busy selling stuff that doesn't exist, you know, today. But I think <laughs> when you start talking about a 300 person business and, you know, it's really about, we always talked about the way our relationship to work was, I focused on what the business was doing next year. Matt focused what the business was doing, you know, this year. And at some point that this year is, is, is a lot more important than next year as you get bigger. And so when I, you know, I actually also, when I was going through this process, I happened to read Patrick Lencioni's book, The Motive, and really talks about, you know, what's the job of a CEO? And the job of a CEO is to lead and manage a team, right? And that's a lot of meetings and a lot of working with that. And that's, that's not the stuff that I love to do. And so I was like, huh, maybe I haven't been playing the CEO role. You know, I think he's hmm. been sort of doing that. And, and and so it just felt like the right time to formally hand that over. And and so I could continue to do the things that I liked and not have to step in. And, you know, one of my nightmares doing eight quarterly, you know, reviews, like that's... <laughs> It's just not that that's not the type of thing that 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 I like to do. I, I'd much rather kind of work on a new idea, a new acquisition, run an offsite for all of our up and coming leaders uh, or things that, you know, I, I was doing in my role previously. Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. Hey there, friends. It's Darius from Shazda here and I have a little confession to make. You see, I've been battling allergies for years now. And let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Allergies have been my constant companion. It stopped me from fully enjoying the little things in life, canceling plans with friends because of sudden allergy attack to missing out on an outdoor activity because of sneezing fits. Allergies have been a real nuisance. Luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing and a runny nose, itchy, watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. I've been a Claritin D user for many, many years now. And let me tell you, it's made a world of difference. Since I started using Claritin D, my symptoms have improved dramatically. Now I can breathe easier, enjoy outdoor activities without worrying about sneezing fits, and truly live my life without being held back by allergies. Ready to live as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter now. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear, uses directed. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. In the world of successful partnerships, names like Procter & Gamble, Ben & Jerry, and supply and demand echo through business history. But when it comes to growing your business, who are the perfect partners? That's you and Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. We're talking from launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we hit a million dollar order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling shipping supplies or promoting productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. 
from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Picture this, a time when my business was facing a tough hurdle and I wasn't sure how to break through. But then came the breakthrough moment, a game changer that took my business to the next level. You know, what I absolutely adore about Shopify is its unparalleled ability to adapt and grow with your ambitions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 75 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Darius, all lowercase. That's D-A-R-I-U-S. Go to shopify.com slash Darius now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Darius. That's interesting. So, I mean, um, there's an, I think there's another book called The Three Things. I can't remember who the author is, um, but it was funny. Someone told me, like, oh, I just read this book called The Three Things, and it's all about what a CEO owns in the business. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, I have a thing that I say about what, what a CEO's job is. What, what's and, yours? And so my, yeah. Mine is, is that they own the culture, yep. they own the bench, and they own the strategy. And if any of those things aren't working, it's your fault, you know? So, so it's not necessarily that I, and to your point, like, yeah, then I have to go and do reviews with whoever's on that bench that reports to me. Right. So when you say the bench, you don't mean, you mean building the bench or the, I, yeah, what Lincioni said is the main job of a CEO is managing the executive team, right? It is coaching, managing, yeah. because at that point, a lot of people call themselves CEO preemptively. If you run a 10 person company, you are not CEO because you are probably, You'd have to be sort of dual personality because you are the head of sales, the head of marketing, whatever. You know, you're probably the president sure. at that point. So when you actually have an executive suite, I think your job as the CEO, as you said, the strategy, the culture, but like it's 90% of your time making sure that team has what it needs and is performing at a high level and they're doing their jobs. I agree. I would agree with that. Um, and and so I I enjoyed that aspect of it, the leadership development side of it. Some of the other, the operation side, I, I've never liked, right? So for me, it was, it was, I had a really, uh, the part, it was kind of the same. The president of my company with my business partner was the integrator and he's a stud integrator. Yeah. And he just managed, I called it like checking the, the register. I'm like, he managed the check and register. I don't need to turn on the open sign. I don't want to speak yeah. for, that's his job. But the part where it's around leadership development, I would agree with that. So was that something you were like, I mean, obviously I know you're an athlete when it comes to development, but were you just like, I don't want to do it with my team. I just want to be the visionary around. Yeah. So, so what's interesting is I really enjoy, you know, leadership development and building leadership development programs. Right. I think the coaching and the, but, but, but a lot of that is the managing day to day and the managing of tasks and expectations and otherwise. And I'm, that's where I'm probably a better coach or leader than I am a manager, right? In terms of like, Fair um, I, I, you know, holding accountable, doing all that stuff. Like I, I, I want to work with high potential people that want to, you know, learn. Um, but that's not everyone all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I could see that. So I, I would tell you that I struggled with that when it was, I, I guess, and, and, and my, my perspective was, well, then they just need to level the fuck up or something. Like <laughs> Replace them. <laughs> You know, um, and, and, and I, it's I a mean, lot of, inter- you know, it's a lot of interpersonal stuff. It's a lot of, sure. um, yeah. So, so, you know, sitting down and doing the review, like I, in theory, I just want people to know what they're good at and not good at and know that stuff. And, you know, you know, so I, I, I remember just sitting down and do the review. I, I like stuff. I'm sure like that's new, right. When it's the same thing yeah. over and over again, it's not, it's not as fun for me. So. Yeah, I'm with you, man. The the rep- any any the minute anything's repetitive, it's like I'm done. Um, so so you and look. Some people him. love that. I mean, some people are scared by the. This is the whole what one person likes. You know, another person. If you ever done these delegate and elevate exercises, I think the things that people think that they hate, the that no one else on their list wants, someone else totally wants that. I'm like creating and maintaining processes. Like, how do I get that off my list? coming in and sharing a whole bunch of ideas about something new. Like other people don't like the pressure of that. I'm happy to do that. Yeah, that makes total sense. And so, 
So you so you, you elevated him and and obviously you guys and you guys have a unique environment at acceleration and that you guys are 100% remote, right? Yeah. So that, that's incredible. We, we've been remote for longer. We used to hide it before COVID and then I was giving seminars and writing books on it. So uh, I thought that was, was very interesting because we had these big Fortune 500 companies and they're like, you guys don't have an office, you know, clients. And so we were like, well, we're distributed. That was the, that was the word we used. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's 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 a it's a specific term, but 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 we're centralized too. We're yeah. like DeFi, um, <laughs> blockchain. So, so blockchain. Uh, yeah, we're, we're the blockchain. You've heard of that, right? The, the, the word salad them into a different into a different mindset. So so you guys um, obviously that worked out very well in your benefit, um, and and the company grew quite a bit. Now you were you guys working with Rich Manders? Yeah, we've worked with Rich and Wayne for uh, like five or six years now, I think. So, so it's funny. I was talking to Rich. Um, he he was in town, and, and he's like, and, and he said something to me. I'd love to get your thoughts on this. He said, you know, I always coach my clients, and and Rich is a for people that don't know Rich Manders, you can check him out. He's a he's a essentially a scout coach, and great uh, guy, coach, yeah. And he, yeah, amazing human being. And he he was a, in private equity and built the company and did a bunch of acquisitions. The guy's super skilled. And he said, you know, I always coach people I work with that as you double in size, you're going to lose half your team. <laughs> yeah. And- I, have, I have a slide from that in a presentation we give that it was actually, every time you double, you lose 50% of your, you break 50% of your people and 50% of your processes. And I think the whole genesis <laughs> to the the capacity building and elevate was all that was trying us trying to beat that number because I, I, I saw it to be true, but I, I think like, I didn't want to build a company by getting rid of half my people and half my processes every couple of years. It kind of it kind of sucks, right? It's it, painful. Um, it, I, yeah, it's it, it's emotionally and physically and all kinds of painful. Yeah, but but, but so I'm assuming that didn't totally happen. If it, you know, I mean, what would you say your percent? I mean, you has doubled how many times over? Like probably like eight, seven, eight times over. Yeah, and look, we this was the genesis of my, the book Elevate. You know, we we. We really kind of fell into this thing, I, I, and and kind of the opening story to the new book around this this notion of capacity building and how do we how do we increase people's capacity holistically in our organization? You know, we have about eighty percent of the people have been promoted from within. How do we focus on? Because I used to say I didn't think people were different inside of work and outside of work, and this is when they weren't working from home, right, Darius? It's not like you are, you know you know, terrible sleeper, bad with money, irritable, and you show up at the office and suddenly you're like great with budgets and, you know, you're, you're the same person. Like, you know, you don't flip a switch and, and now in the same place. So early on, we were like, how, how do we train people holistically? How do we focus on making people better, building their capacity so that not that they're good at the job today, but they're ready for the job of tomorrow. And by the way, the organization benefits from having someone who's just, you know, and whether this is health or time management or prioritization, things that are holistic, we benefit if they get better at these things. And and then they're better partners, fathers, you know, husbands, wife, sisters outside of work. I, I think that we really were able to kind of grow with people in a way that a lot of organizations, um, their goal is to grow and then they kind of switch out the people we wanted to grow. I don't have the you know the analogy on the people on the backs of the people, not you know them carrying it, not it not it crushing them. Um, so I, I, that that's part of the formula that we focused on, and it ended up being a lot of the 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 elements of kind of the four capacities. So a lot of our training at AP and things that we focus on is way more than something about the job or what you would need in that job today. They're they're kind of holistic things around learning, getting better, understanding your values, having a good morning routine, having kind of discipline and best practices and things that should help people both inside and outside of work. And so so when you talk about the four capacities, do you mind going through those a little bit? Yeah, sure. So so spiritual capacity is not not religious, but spiritual capacity is like who are you and what do you want most? I think for most people it's fundamentally their core values. Um, intellectual capacity kind of comes next in the in the thing. Intellectual capacity is how you improve your ability to think, learn, plan, and execute with discipline. Like that's your operating system. Um, I always give the example of like, let's just say you had to lay someone off and you've never done it before. You might lose lose five nights of sleep. You don't know how to have that conversation. You don't have that in your operating system. So you burn a ton of energy. Someone who's thought through it, 
talked to someone about it, practiced it or otherwise. And I know it's kind of a negative example, but they just don't consume as much. It, you know, it, it, it becomes an easier thing to do. So it's intellectual capacity. I only say it because it's not that more is more. It's about when you have a better way to do something, better software, better technique, or otherwise, it actually should be easier to do whatever it is. Um, physical capacity is your health, well-being, and physical performance. And I think, as I said before, we understand that's holistic inside and outside of work. And then emotional capacity is how you react to challenging situations, emotional mindset, and the quality of your relationship. So the analogy in total is a sports car, right? Spiritual capacity would be, I came up with the designs for the sports car. Intellectual capacity is I built it. Physical capacity is I tested it on this track and it went like 100 miles an hour and it worked. And then emotional it would be, how does it work now when there's five, 10 other cars and we're all going around the lap together mm-hmm. and it's not just about you know what I'm doing. So if you picture these as kind of a, a, a ball, four quadrants of a ball, it, as they expand each one of these areas, the ball gets bigger, more mass, rolls faster. If one of these areas in your life gets super out of whack and they're not always in line, like the ball is going to bounce kind of all over the place. Let's go back to physical. So your physical capacity gets diminished. You are exhausted and tired. Well, when that happens to people, they lose sight of their goals, what matters most to them, right? They're, they're, they're tired. Their discipline falls apart and, and, uh, and an emotional capacity, like they tend to like be irritable and get into fights with people and can't handle stuff more. So you, you can see how when one of these gets out of whack, it, it, it sort of can, can unbalance the whole thing. And so, you know, when you start thinking about these areas in a business, I guess first things first, the first thing that came to my mind was, all right, great. Um, I uh, like intellectually, I understand like those are all important things and that you need to develop those things and be cognizant of them, especially if you like care, you know, like, or have a conscious awareness of your team member and where they're at in these different areas. Right. And in conscious leadership, we, you know, one of the tenets of that is meeting people where they're at Then you know, okay, look, my team's tired. So I'm going to maybe back off or whatever, but take, before we get there though, how do you hire and understand those different capacities like in the hiring process. So, so, so that's, that's, a that's a great point. You, you went, right? We went right to the, 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 the punchline. It's funny because <laughs> that, that's the second to last chapter of the book, which is sort of had. So I, in, in Elevate, I, I actually shared that as a framework for personal development and for the development of your leaders. Like how do you develop your leaders? It is to make sure you are working on, you know, capacity building and that they understand these quadrants. What I realized as we were building the company was that those were also potentially organizational tenets too, and that they took a little bit of a different form when you were institutionally putting things into the organization, you know, rather than focusing on it on on an individual level. Uh, but yeah, as you know, like you know, ninety percent of cultural problems can't be fixed if you <laughs> hire the wrong people. I think the biggest mistake that companies make with hiring, and and this directly relates to capacity, is they focus on experience over aptitude. And I'll have a hard time. Ideally, you'd have both, but but I, there's a graph I have of this in the book that's harder for me to you know uh, depict now. But what I realize constantly in a fast growing business is we'd hire this experienced person. They would come in and initially they have more, if you imagine like the growth line, like a 45 degree angle, they come in above the growth line, but they have a pretty flat curve. So they've just taken a while to get above where we are now. The problem is when they come in over their head, what do they tend to do? They like don't pick up the trash and do stuff themselves. They want to hire a lot of people. So hiring someone over their head doesn't work, you know, sorry, under their head doesn't really work well because they don't want to do the stuff that they've already done. So they hire a ton of people right away. And then pretty soon their flat line like hits the growth trajectory and their experience is kind of gone at this point. And, you know, the example, like if, if I had a sales job and I really needed someone to hit a $2 million book of business, that was the goal. Well, candidate A hit a $2 million book of business and they are 10 years into their career. Candidate B has built a $1.6 million book of business, but they've done it in two years. If I think that I'm going to need a three or $4 million book of business in a couple of years, everyone I know would hire candidate A. I kind of look and be like, wow, this person like figured it out faster. And they went from a half million quota to 1 million quota to $1.5 million quota. This other person has been selling 2 million for six years now. 
And like, it doesn't, maybe they don't know how to do more than that. So this was the big epiphany for us. How, how do you focus? And sometimes you do this from inside, you promote a high aptitude person because when someone is over their head, and I said it wrong before, they're actually going to work harder and try to prove that they belong when they're mm. under their head. They don't want to get their hands dirty. So I, there, there are a lot of questions and things you can focus on in the interviewing process, but I think you want, you want people that have demonstrated ability to learn quickly, high aptitude, build their capacity, not that they just spent 20 years getting this one thing done. And, and there are a couple of tips on that, but one of the things that I look for, and someone said this to me years ago, that a good reason for people to switch jobs a lot is that they were pulled by people they used to work with. Right. right. Um, you know, where they said Darius like goes to a place and pulls Mary, like always, and Mary fall because if someone is 20 years in their career and they are getting jobs through headhunters that have never worked for them before, people that don't know them, that means that everyone that worked with them didn't want to hire them. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, which I think is a little bit of a red flag. Plus, Total. in the last five or 10 years, a lot of people got their promotions by switching jobs. Like, you should be able to be promoted in place and grow in place and recognize for your work. Someone who always gets another title by switching a job, that like big, big red flag to me. Yeah, dude. Like, I, so I, well, I was talking, to, I don't remember who I was talking. I, I say this all the time. I, I'm like, listen, good people never look for jobs. Right like good people have tons of options. So if you want to get good people to come join you, you got to go out and you got to go find them yourself because they're not, they're not answering a LinkedIn ad for a job. Like, I mean, look, it's possible. It's just, or, or, or even the headhunters place them three times. But if it's a new headhunter, like again, if you look, this is a nuance that a lot of people, but the, if the people are getting jobs at a certain point in their career through no one that they have worked with in any way, that's a massive red flag. Super sketch. So, um, <laughs> uh, so I love that, man. So, yeah, to your point, and, and it was funny when you were just using the example of the two salespeople. I'm like, oh, I'd hire the 1.5 million dollar person all day long. Like right. That person's, but most people is, wouldn't. Most, most people they oh. focus on the experience, right? They're like, oh, this person has two million. Again, how much time did it take them? To get to two million, right? That's that that's the that's the equation people are missing. They have the experience, but did did, did they did, if that experience it took them ten years to get that, and you're going to use that up in two days? It's not going to matter. Yeah, I, I'm more of a fan of the. I want to see that that velocity of growth, right? Like, hey, how quickly, especially in sales, which I think is a unique example. But, um, so so right. So I love this idea of hiring for aptitude. So once you have them come in, you know. And again, I think a lot of folks, especially depending on the size of the business, right? I think bigger businesses have more, I call it scaffolding built to like, you know, drop in. So let's say that you care about these four areas, these four capacities, a large business can go and build systems around, you know, teaching those capacities, yeah. you know, and when I say large, I'm talking thousand, 600, 500, whatever, yeah. even 300, right? That's a good size business compared to most entrepreneurs that have 20, 30, 50 people. Um, for you guys, you guys obviously didn't have the scaffolding or the maybe the systems built like you did at 300 people that when you had 30. So by the time you got clear that these are the things you cared about for elevating your team, what what were ways like, can you, can you give some examples of ways that you then went to those different folks and said, hey, we're going to go and develop these different attributes, the spiritual attributes, physical, yeah. emotional so on and so forth. I mean, I could take you a little bit of journey through each one. So spiritual capacity, we take our leaders offsite and we spend part of the offsite kind of leadership retreat is helping them figure out their personal core values. And we go through the why and we do some strength finders, but they're like personal core values. Like, like, isn't that about me, not about the company? And, and I'd be like, yes, exactly. But we, we need you to be leaders at this company. And we don't have an archetype of a prototypical leader. We have behaviors and things that we want leaders to do, but we we or me think that you will lead most authentically from your core values. So if you're not clear what those are, then you're kind of going to be holding yourself back as a leader. And when people, we would do this work offsite, people would have, and I know you've done this and with individuals, I mean, there, there's some tears, there's some real revelation, there's some stuff that people realize has been driving them since childhood and formative experiences that they did not connect these things to the fact on how they were showing up every day in the workplace. And I can, I can give you an example of one. So one that's come up a lot is that leaders who have a core value of trust, uh, you know, they often had a violation of trust in their life at some point. And 
I've learned to ask the question where I'll say, like, if we're talking about Darius and you seem to be, you know, having gone through all this process, there seems to be a real trust kind of value. You know, I'd say something like, I'm not going to ask you what it is, Darius, but did you have a violation of trust at some point in your life that was pretty significant? And you will either, you know, I'll see it on your face, so you'll get emotional and not the story. So what happens with leaders for whom trust is really important is when people on their team are five minutes late, when they miss an assignment, when they can't be found in remote work in the afternoon, this strikes core fears of this is a person that cannot be trusted. And these these people on their team are basically in a penalty box and they don't know about it. So for mm. someone who didn't identify this or didn't know how to communicate this, you know, a- after kind of going through it, they might go back and then the team, they say, hey, team, I just want you to know, like, trust is really important to me. So things like being late and missing deadlines and stuff, like, I, I will trust you. I mean, I'm, but these are things that for me are really bright red lines. They might not be for someone else. And I just, you know, I need you to know this. Like we had a couple other examples of that as well. So, you know, some really interesting things that I think when people click, it gives them permission to become, you know, an authentic leader, which to me is not copying a lot of best practices from other people, but doing, which is what I think we all do when we first become a leader. I, I talked about my Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat when I give my leadership potential, where it was like, I had all of these, like, I saw Darius do this. They're actually things that you loved that other leaders did or things that you hated that you're trying to do the opposite of, but some of them aren't really authentically you. And so you're doing it and mm. it doesn't, it doesn't feel right. So that's like an example of spiritual intellectual, as I said before, you know, I use the layoff example. That's not not the best one. But here's a more common one, like difficult conversations and feedback. People don't know sure. how to do it. They're not trained on it. We we actually do these exercises. We call them kind of law and order. We're like, you have card A. So you're an employee who's been here for 30, you know, for 60 days. You're going to the check-in. You think everything's great. Card B is the manager's going into the 60-day check-in and you just don't think this person is going to last. And then we have 20 people watching this and they have a real discussion and it is a total shit sandwich avoidance. Like they both walk away and they're like, I think my point was clear. And and every time I I will turn around to the room and say, how many people after listening to this 10-minute conversation with a manager think that the employee knows that their job might be on the line and no one raises their hand? Mm -hmm. And so you see that like... And then people give some feedback and some coaching, and then they do it again. And so just learning how to have an honest feedback conversation and not wrap it in a whole bunch of things that's confusing or, or, or otherwise. Um, physical Can I dep- ask a question? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. So, so, so with that example, the intellectual um, example, are you doing this? So, and it even goes back to like, I, under, I understood the kind of the cadence around the spiritual stuff. You're doing it at offsites. Yeah. Are you doing all this at offsites? Are you doing it or is it actually programmed into the curriculum of the business overall? Uh, it's either an offsite or part of a leadership training or something that, you know, is designed. But it, but it, yeah, I mean, it, you're pulled out of your day job to do, to do some of this stuff. If that was, and, if that and was what, what kind of cadence do you like to, uh, I, I actually have a prefer, preferred cadence around leadership development. So I want to hear yours though. I mean, we try to, I think if you're in a program, I think you want that to sort of be a three to six month kind of cadence. Um, but then we would do these programs every year uh, before COVID that were kind of taking up and coming leaders offsite. And now we're actually redoing mm. this. So we've done, uh, we, we have a high potential program, you know, so we have identified high potential people across the organization. They get coaches, mentors, and then we'll go into sort of a supplemental uh, leadership training. So we've we've pulled out some of these things and do them at at, at different times. But um, yeah, just the notion of like, I, I actually think new managers' biggest failure is usually not dealing with an underperformer on their team that kind of comes back to haunt them. And the reason they don't deal with it is they don't know how to. They haven't had those conversations. They haven't had the pain of prolonging one of those conversations and watching it totally blow up in their face nine months later yet. So how ha- ha- how do you how do you kind of get them doing these things before it's it's too late? Yeah, that makes total sense. I have a I have a client, um, and uh, they do a thing called em- embracing conflict parties. Yeah, <laughs> ECB ECPs, where like literally, it's like a promote. Like, did you do an ECP this week? <laughs> so they're they're constantly practicing this practice of embracing conflict. To your point, because because look, like you're not going. There's no class on like having tough conversations. I mean, maybe, maybe there's maybe, not. Maybe, there's like, not right. Like, like yeah. 
but 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 like go watch a master class on having a tough conversation good luck on that one that's like teaching someone to want to drive a car watching a video right, right? so so like, yeah you, so so for that we know. do we do role play right and we and we and we do practicing or we say listen to this podcast like this is this podcast from patty mccord netflix is like the definitive how to have difficult conversations podcast right and patty talks about you know Telling, coaching her team to call their own voicemail and leave a message about what they were going to say to the person and listen to how it sounds and then do it again and then do it again, wow. <laughs> you know, before, before they have it. So, you know, to me, that's about, as I said, it's interesting. Intellectual capacity is not doing more. It is, if you up, you know, when you upgrade the operating system, you upgrade the software, it's supposed to run the hardware better and more efficient and, and right. You have a, mm-hmm. you have a better way of, of doing it. Cool. So, so, um, so I love those examples. Um, you went to, I think next was what physical, is that right? Yeah. Or- so, so physical capacity, you know, just, just some small tips around particularly people working from home, like they need their time away from work. So one of the things we've done, they, they, people need boundaries and separation. So, you know, little things, if you're, uh, using delayed delivery. So when you send an email at eight o'clock, someone doesn't think they have to reply to it. When you actually go on a vacation, don't tell everyone here are the hundred ways to uh, to get me. There's an example I use when I'm speaking where a guy at a venture fund said an email like, I'm going to spend time on vacation. I'm sure there won't be an emergency. But if you need to reach me, use interrupt my vacation at you know, whatever the alias.com. <laughs> so you know the, the things that we say and that we model, it, it, people follow what we do, not what we say. So to tell people like, oh, take your vacation, take your vacation, but then announce to your team that I'm completely available on your vacation, you know, sets the example. I, I, I talk in the, in the book about Marissa Meyer as sort of an anti-case study at Yahoo. You know, I don't think we talk about that en- enough. You know, she came in bragging about 100, 130-hour work weeks, which if you do the math on this is crazy. During her tenure, Yahoo acquired 52 companies, I think all of which were worthless. They had about a 30% approval rating of the organization. I mean, they they did a lot of work there, but it didn't turn into any value. The, any increase in the value of stock was a result of their ownership in Alibaba. And not that it wasn't a tough job, but that it was just the the it was just a kind of work nonstop culture. And anyone who studied the 80-20 rule or any of the stuff knows that. Some things matter more more than other people's. Some things matter more than others. So, um, yeah, I, I think you're trying to create. If you want people to come to work and be energized and do great work, you kind of need them to have some life and some exercise and some rest and some rela- relaxation outside of work. So again, teaching people that you know, encouraging them to have a productive morning routine, encouraging them how to kind of uh, disconnect. I think those are all part of physical capacity, and then. Emotional. Can I ask a question? Yeah, you can dive can in. Yeah. On that? yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so on 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 that note, uh, obviously that you can encourage that behavior, and some people will embrace, it and others won't. I'm curious on the business side. Did you design any of it into policies? So maybe like PTO or yeah, you know, stuff like that. Like where you're encouraging physical. I, I swear, I did, I swear, I didn't lead you into that question, but I always say incentives, either implicit or explicit incentives matter. Right. And, and right. so we have a wellness reimbursement where you can get part of that back as a vacation reimbursement. If you do not email or call anyone when you are on vacation. So nice. Uh, again, we're, 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 we're serious about that. And also like, a lot of this actually is not the organization's fault. It's the leader's fault. If they wire everything to go through them, then of course, you know, they have to do that. So there's a $500 or it's been more incentive to, to not do that or figure out other systems. I've always actually thought maternity leaves were like a great thing for people to figure out how to delegate and elevate because, you know, then they come back and they don't do half the stuff that they were doing before because they actually sure. gave it up to someone else. So, we do that. We've done a couple of wellness challenges where, where actually there's like a wellness competition where everyone has to do a half an hour uh, of some wellness activity during the workday, Monday to Friday, you know, whether it's yoga, meditation, running, and then the teams get points and then the winner gets an Apple Watch or something like that. So again, they're saying, oh, the company's actually incentivizing me to take a break during the workday. So there's either implicit or explicit. I think the, you know, the explicit is things like, uh, you know, those programs, the implicit is a little things like delay delivering your email or, you know, the auto reply or things where you're just culturally setting, you know, what is expected. 
Did you train? So, so I, I, I do some of this training when I talk to CEOs. I go, hey, listen, I don't email, email my team unless it's an app. I don't text or email my team after hours or on the weekends. It's in like, or before hours. To your point, I do delayed emails. Yeah, I've been, like, doing, that. I've been doing that for Sunday. five years. I send a ton of emails over the weekend. None of them yeah. come until the morning. The good news is it looks like I'm a hero at 6.37 on Monday morning. You know, <laughs> While I'm sound asleep, my email is like you know, chug, chugging away there. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I never, you know, it's funny. It's I never did it, and 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 then I started getting emails from like people sometimes, like my business partners and stuff. And I was always like, oh, I got to respond. And then I was like, man, how many people? And I and I name this. I call it doing a giving doing a drive by. I'm like, how many CEO drive bys are happening by me? You know, I'm a CEO just driving by with a machine right. gun. Right. And when people are, I always say this. This doesn't. I don't mean this to sound pejorative. When people are rank below you in the organization, they feel a much higher need to respond to those emails and don't kind of say, is this important or not important? It's just, oh, the CEO sent me an email. Like they must want me to respond. Yeah, yeah. What well, they're they're not going to respond, right? Like, like the reality is, and and I I've I learned this. I, I was not a CEO for twenty one months of my whole career, where I I did a joint venture and I went and worked in with the company, and I was literally like not the CEO. And it was the first time in my whole life where I'm like, hey, we need to change this one. It was like I was running like my own business within yeah. the business, <laughs> and I was like, hey, we need to change this one thing that's royally fucked up and broken, right? And the guy looks at me and goes, sure, and then didn't do it. And I was like, what the fuck? This is crazy, <laughs> right? Because I was always used to like, I would say this is broken and people would fix it, right? Yeah. Um, as what happens when you're CEO. And so then like, I brought it up like two or three times and the guy like, was, I, I don't even know what the deal was. He was just like, I'm not going to listen to this guy. Like, who's he? <laughs> and, and so then fast forward to like a month later and I'm like in the office with the, my, the guy who was essentially my partner in the deal who was a CEO. And, and I said, well, you know, he's like, well, what's up? Why aren't we getting more business for X, Y, and Z reason? I said, oh, well, it's because, you know, we, we don't, in this business, we didn't post our service level agreement to the client. And he's like, well, why don't we do that? I'm like, um, I don't know. Why don't you go ask them? And I'd already asked them and posted it three times publicly. And he goes and says, he says, hey, why aren't we posting this? I said, oh, no problem, boss. One minute later, they post it. And I was like, and I had a realization, which is really important yeah. to, to what you just said. CEO is a, is a position of authority that most CEOs themselves don't respect. Yeah. Like they don't realize the power they yield. They just kind of assume. Yeah, to ruin, oh, someone, to ruin someone's weekend with some you know, brain fart that they had at 8.30 on a Saturday morning. To- <laughs> totally, right? Like, that guy's going to be like, well, I'll get to him back. You know, screw Darius. I'll get to him on Monday when I get to the office. Of course he's not going to do that, right? No. Or she's not going to do that. And, and, so I, do, yeah. I, I agree with what you And they're saying. also bad with – because again – a lot of people who send these types of emails are visionary founder, you know, type type folks. I think I think employees are also bad with understanding the prioritization. Like just because I asked the question didn't mean I want you to drop everything and do that instead. So they think everything is urgent, right? And, and so that's that's part of setting the understanding of the priority. So if you are not using the delayed delivery thing, I I can't tell you how much people appreciate it. And it just allows you, if I want to sit down on Saturday morning and respond to a bunch of stuff because I have some quiet time, great. But those all go out on Monday. If you work in a global company too, people really appreciate not waking up to 400 you know, emails out of their time zone or otherwise. So there's people on our team who, will, if they know either sending something to their counterpart in Asia, will set it to show up during their work day. It just it doesn't feel great to like come in and feel like you're way behind the eight ball to 100 messages that that, that you didn't look at. Again, easy thing to do. But as I said before, too, if you're Marissa Meyer, you know, telling all the women at Yahoo to take their maternity leaves, but but setting up a nursery next to her office and telling the press that she was working the minute after, you know, she had her baby, like they're much more likely going to believe that they need to do what the leader is doing than what the leader is telling them to do. Totally. Monkey see, monkey do, right? Like, oh, your actions speak so loud, I can't hear your words, right? right. So it's never, worked, it's never worked for me as a parent either. Do, do as I say, not as I do, right? So, no. so again, the amount of people were like, hey, I'm, there's, I'm going on vacation, but just call me here, reach me here. Like, sure. th- th- that, that's what everyone else thinks that they have to do. It is super powerful if you set an out-of-office reply saying, I'm away with my family, I'm enjoying this time, if it's an absolute emergency, do this. Otherwise, I will connect with you and I return. Just that someone on your team getting that office out of office reply sets a totally different precedent for them in terms of how they think about their own time off. 
I love that, man. So we got physical, we got intellectual, uh, emotional. Is that, is that what we got left? Yeah. So, is, is there another one? No, emotional. And, and look, I think for most organizations, the number one thing of emotional capacity is psychological safety. We hear that term a lot. Well, what does it mean? I think it means trust at scale. So you and I can have trust, right? And that took a year to develop or otherwise. But how do you create it to where like it's a group, it's a many to many where everyone walks in and they feel like they are safe, they can say things, you know, you you institutionalize that trust. That that is psychological safety. And that requires vulnerability vulnerability and it requires right feedback. And so modeling vulnerability. We did something at our company where people gave one last talk speeches with Philip McKernan. If you ever heard Philip speak and they they came and gave these speeches at our company event where like if this was the last day of their life, what's the speech that they had to talk about? And and mm. super deeply personal things that just opened the floodgates of sharing in the organization. Um, you know, when you go around and I was just prepping for uh, a webinar I'm doing next week and we were going to answer some questions. Like I was saying, look, Whatever you answer is going to set the tone for everyone else. Um, you know, if you're ta- talking about starting off, you know, we you start off a meeting with, hey, personal high, professional high. We start off with what's something we really screwed up last month, right? And if I say something cursory, then everyone else will say something cursory. If I say something deep, then everyone else will kind of go deeper. And I think it sort of just pushes those bounds of of trust and, and psychological safety. How do you get leaders? Because I think for some leaders vulnerability is a superpower. And I think for others, it's really hard, right? They maybe grew up in, a, yeah. in an environment where it's like vulnerability was not okay. And you needed to have a stiff upper lip. Like, what are some things you do to manage the different like characteristics or different personalities in the room? Yeah, I think it's, it, it, it's, in, look, I wouldn't recommend, a, you know, companies dive right into a, a, a one last talk, but I think it's putting in those times. Like we start off our, our, our L10 management meetings every week with a personal and professional high. So even though it's a high, it's still talking about something personal, like watching your kid do something. I always joke, it seems like there's a high that my in-laws have arrived one week and a high next week is my in-laws have left um, <laughs> <laughs> for for a lot of people. <laughs> I've, no, I've noticed that trend, but it's just funny. it's just giving you know not shielding yourself from talking about things outside of work, developing a connection. A lot of uh, something we're in client service business. I always encourage people to do, and our leaders on a call is not jump right into business. Hey Darius, how's it going? Well, Bob, kind of sucks. Like my cat ran away yesterday like my dad's got covid well now i understand why you're kind of you know aloof and upset today and it doesn't have to do with me but i i have some empathy for you know the situation that you're in or or, or otherwise so again i'm not talking about everyone getting super you know touchy-feely all the time but i i think you know sharing what's going on being willing to talk about you know it, you know sometimes when you know a lot of times like even i've seen people do like a check in on are are you green orange or red today and they're like i'm red like sure. i'm fried you know my in-laws are here all weekend or you know whatever whatever it was i'm just not in it today i i, I think there are a lot of uh uh opportunities to do that and but whenever you do that or you ever do some sharing like i said i i would have the leader go first and the leader sets the tone right if i say the highlight of my week was i don't know something you know Oh, you know, getting a ski run or, you know, or the highlight of my leak was watching my kid finally read something because they're struggling with reading, right? Even that sets the tone for uh, how other people kind of share within the group. And I, and I, I think we want people to see this personal, you know, side of us. I think some of us have had leaders or organizations or cultures that have really discouraged it, but I've never seen someone in a safe environment not want to provide you know, context or sharing or, or some more information for people that they work with regularly. Yeah, I, 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 I 100% agree. I, I do think that there are cultures and environments where, where maybe the, it's not that like comfortable to yeah. do that type of sharing. And my answer to that's like, I'm like, man, people are people, you know, like it's not like they put on their mask and all of a sudden they show up to work and they're not humans. Like, you know, kind of how you are anywhere is how you are everywhere. And my belief is like human beings just want to like come in and be their best selves. And how can you create environments to do that? So it sounds like, it sounds like you guys are really hitting the nail that you've hit the nail on that and that you address that in the book. What do you, um, what are your thoughts regarding 
you know, or, and, and maybe you can tell a little more, is the book really, obviously you're giving these high level examples. Is the book really going through like a how to on how to implement all these different practices into the business? Yeah. I think, I think the book takes everyone through that same capacity framework again, kind of reminds them, elevate, but then really talks about it institutionally. And yes, it gives, it get, it's got a lot of stories, stories and examples of, you know, what does it look like? Like one of the things that I talk about in emotional capacity for an organization that wouldn't have made sense for, for an individual is, you know, that there are a lot is, is sort of organizations that look, focus on what they can control organizationally versus what they don't. And, and, you know, I've seen a lot of, particularly we'll come back to sales teams, sales teams that are kind of conspiratorial. They've never lost a deal that was their fault, right? They got undercut, they got blindsided, they got whatever, like these are cultural things. There's a story I won't remember about a competitor in the book that just didn't like that we were doing more business with another company because they were better partners. So they made up a story that we were getting kickbacks throughout their organization from them because that let them off the hook that uh, it was something that we were doing and something not that they were doing. So kind of talk about what, what does it look like for a team that kind of doesn't allow that to happen and says, look, we focus on what we control. We don't focus on what we don't control. We do debriefs. You know, we don't, we don't let the boogeyman or the conspiracy theories or the other things like we keep it about what can we do better for for next time. So, yeah, much more organi- much more or examples around kind of organizational systems and processes. Like how do you have a culture that when feedback, right? How, how do you have a culture? How do you le- teach people how to give feedback? In, in, in an appropriate way because and, and how do you teach people how to receive feedback in an appropriate way and i have some interesting stuff from our friends at scribe that got really good at that where they actually taught their customers how to give them feedback that that was useful i mean you may have seen this but i can tell you you know you, feedback has got to be oriented around behavior not character i i've seen people five to ten years later that have dramatic workplace PTSD at being told they were not something or they were something mm. rather than they did something. The quintessential example is, you know, you've probably had this every like someone on their team who's just not strategic enough <laughs> or not doing strategic sure. work. It's really different to say, Darius, on this proposal yesterday, you know, there was the client was lacking in strategy. We had too many tactics. Here were the examples. Then to say, Darius, you are not strategic. Well, that's not something that you think you can fix, right? Sure. Telling you you're not strategic or you're not smart or you're not whatever. I, but, but I, and, and I, I, people, I mean, they, it's amazing. They come up with these things 10 years later that a boss said to them. I mean, it still has hurt their ego and their confidence till that day. Yeah, man. It's, it's a great example, right? And, I mean, especially if you're a strength based organization, and I'm a huge fan of Strength Finder. It's, so I'm like, listen, you know who owns that? You own that because you hired someone that's maybe a high relationship execution person and gave them the job that required high strategic, right? Like capabilities and then wondered why they weren't successful. And and going back to what we said earlier, I'm like, look, if if I own the culture and I own the bench, like I own that that person's – maybe maybe I'm a 300-person organization like yourself and that person's three layers below me or three layers down. And you hired the person who hired the person who hired the person – who put that person into the seat and did not put them, set them up to, to be successful. So I, in those situations, I'm like, Hey, you as an organization own that. And then to your point there, you're creating PTSD. That's now affecting this person, maybe three jobs later when right. they're working. And, and so that's just else, right. right. We, that's not how we give feedback. We don't do that as an organization. Again, it becomes part of the organizational culture rather than the, the practice of an individual, but but you have to teach that, right? You have to say, sure. we talk a lot about the SBO framework. What was the situation? What was the behavior? What was the outcome? And the other thing I would say, why was the outcome bad for that person, right? If I'm giving right. Darius feedback, I should tell Darius why it's bad for Darius <laughs> because it can be a lot more attention than telling you that I was annoyed by it or it's bad for someone else. Or if it's bad sure. for the client and then the client's going to fire Darius, then that's bad for Darius, right? So you understand, you know, how, there's a great rule. The Ritz Carlton had a rule: seventy-two hours. You, you had to give feedback within seventy-two hours, or, or 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 you had to basically eat it. And because you shouldn't be coming into a review ninety or hundred days later, reading a list of grievances. If feedback is about getting better or improving, what's the point in telling someone ninety days later when they probably re- repeated yeah. the mistake five times? Totally, totally wasteful. What um, and so obviously you guys were very successful at at building these 
um, frameworks and capacities into the business. What was the end result you saw over time as you grew your business leveraging these different aspects into the business? Yeah, I think that, I mean, the biggest thing was that that 80% of our leaders have come from within, that they've risen up within the business, that they're most of the people at the organization are at the highest level they've ever been. Um, you know, whether that's our, it's our CMO is a CMO for the first time, our CEO is a CEO for the first time, our CRO is a CRO for the first time. I mean, that that really proves that you're growing people with the organization. Again, you're, you're giving them a surfboard to ride the wave rather than the wave crushing them and just finding, you know, someone else to, to ride on it. So, and, and look, this is, this is ultimately part of me stepping down as CEO. If you are going to do all this, if you're going to make great people on your team, then you have to make space for them. You have to step aside. The worst thing you want to be is a talent development you know, organization for your biggest competitors. So, sure. uh, I mean, I, 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 there's a story I tell in the book. I mean, I, I don't know how much people remember, but um, you know, in, in, in 2003, I, I think it was, uh, the, the Patriots had just signed uh, Drew Bledsoe to a $100 million contract, highest paid quarterback, uh, in the NFL, he gets hurt after game three and this little unknown scrawny, uh, uh, player, uh, takes his, takes his place for, for, I think six or seven games and plays really well. And the team rallies around it. Now they happen to play for a coach, Bill Belichick, who doesn't care how much you're paid, <laughs> what round you're drafted. He has no emotional tie. The best player plays all the time. And so when Drew Bledsoe was healthy and came back, they decided uh, we're going to let this guy run with it. And had he not done that, Tom Brady might not be the best quarterback all time. He might never have played. He could have been the best quarterback of all time for for another team. And and I think a lot of leaders don't have that same confidence when they know they have this superstar up and coming, you know, Darius on the team. And, and and they've got, you know, Steve sitting in front of Darius, who's just not objectively not as good. I, eventually Darius is going to leave, right? So you got to yeah. make space and you got to let your best players play. Yeah. And and the cool thing about that is I think a lot of organizations are doing the 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 what you just described, which is they're letting the maybe less less successful or less up and coming person own it and the Dariuses are getting picked off by yeah. like the by the, by the you Bob shouldn't the train like, and develop your people if you're not going to make space for them because because then they'll be less marketable right <laughs> say yeah. that. So <laughs> it's actually counterintuitive look i i talk about a couple different types of organizations like some uh are, are star stifler is where i first worked like they were like if you were like an entrenched group of people like wanted to protect their jobs and anyone that was good was like a threat so that's obviously not a good organization a lot of the catch and releasers and Netflix, they're like, look, we're happy, you know, if, if we don't have the job for you here, we're happy for you to go elsewhere. And, and and that's nice. That's nice when you have like, you know, two people vying for the same job and they know they both can't have it. But like you don't want to constantly have that happen, um, where you have all these great people that are leaving, particularly if they're actually higher aptitude than the people that 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 are sort of blocking them on the org chart. Yeah, I love that, man. Um, dude, I want to respect your time. Um, so a couple things. First of all, um, the book's coming out. When, when can people get uh, their the hands book, on it, the book? It, the book will be out as of Tuesday, March 7th. So Tuesday, March 7th. So we're gonna. I'm going to make sure that we we fast-track this to get this episode out in the lineup with your Mark. With yeah, and, and if, it's, if they buy in the first week, uh, the e-book's 99 cents. And so that's a that's a huge incentive, too. So what's the best way for people to get their hands on the book uh, if, if you're them? Yeah, you can go to robertglazer.com where all my stuff is or the short URL for the book is EYT, like elevate your team, book.com. So EYTbook.com. So EYTbook.com and or uh, robertglazer.com and uh, just click on – it'll be advertised. On yeah, the you'll, you'll, you'll see books and it shouldn't if, if it's too hard to find, we haven't done our job. Awesome, man. Dude, I'm so pumped for the book. Hey, before we do get off, though, um, you are kicking ass and taking names with the Elevate podcast since we're talking about all yeah. things Elevate today. Why don't you give a quick plug on the podcast and uh, we'll get, make sure people go and check that out, too. Yeah, awesome. We just hit uh, a million downloads. Uh, Elevate podcast, all kinds of stories about capacity building and getting better from there's a business angle, but also just a human 
uh, performance angle. Uh, for instance, just latest episode, Jessica Buchanan, um, who you may have heard, oh, it wasn't a GOT, it was a ROM, um, who was captured by Somali pirates, survived 90 days, and was basically rescued by SEAL Team 6. So when you think you've had a rough day, uh, you'll listen to Jessica's story, and, and it will change your viewpoint on resilience. Nice, man. Well, yeah, go check out the podcast. Check out the book. Um, we'll make sure to put all those things in the show notes. And I'm going to make sure that this gets scheduled uh, so that I, I'm actually going to bump this. So we're going to make this go live. Um, is it better if it goes right before the launch on the 7th? Yeah, or that's perfect. During the launch? Yeah, right okay, before. Okay, great. So yeah. we'll, we'll make sure this goes live actually next week um, on on um, on Wednesday, which is when we air the interview. So I'll make sure this goes live then. Um, and man, I'm so pumped, dude. This is going to be an awesome new book coming out by your by the main man of the hour, Bob Glazer. Um, anything else you want to let our audience know about? Uh, no, I think, uh, uh, yeah, great to hear from everyone. If you're interested in podcast or the core values uh, course and the work we do, again, check out uh, robertglazer.com. It's all, all there. All right, you guys heard it here first. So go to robertglazer.com, get the new book, Elevate Your Team. I'm so, dude, so much gratitude. I, I always love having you on the show, man. We always have such a good conversation. Love learning about all the things you're up to. Big, big gratitude to you, my friend. Thank you. Audience, listen, go get the book. I'm going to make sure this is all in the show notes. Um, let's support another uh, badass entrepreneur and author and thought leader, my friend Bob Glazer. And with that said, share this with anyone that needs. And we all know, I mean, I, like Bob's always putting out great content. Um, and you, you know, we didn't mention this, though. You also have the Friday Forward newsletter. Yeah. Um, where can people hook up with that? Uh, same thing. Right, right at Robert Glazer's little Friday Forward tab, and you can sign up for that, too. Yeah, so check it, check that out. That's that's really that's an amazing newsletter that Bob puts out once a week. But yeah, go support the book launch. And look, as leaders, we're sharers. Share this information with anyone that needs to level up their team, which we know everyone is in short order of these days. With that said, peace out, everybody. Love you guys. You are listening to the Greatness Machine, and that's a wrap for today. Listen. If you love what you heard, subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform that you're tuning in on so that you don't miss any of our future episodes. We have tons of great people coming on and we're, we're stoked to have you here to enjoy it with us. Leave us a review. Tell us what you love most about this particular episode. We love getting the reviews. We love to see what you guys love most. And if this particular episode you know, made you think of someone who's leveling up in their business and in their life, print screen, share it with them. Leaders are the best givers. And after all, we're all here to support and grow with each other. And in case you want to see some of the fun behind the scenes shots or some of the things that we're doing, I'm actually writing about this in my weekly newsletter. Go to www.therealdarius.com and subscribe to my newsletter. We're talking about fun things like business and life and mindfulness and cryptocurrencies and gosh, I don't even know everything and anything, but it's tons of fun stuff I write about. I try to get it out on a weekly basis. You can subscribe at www.therealdarius.com. And with that said, look, thank you guys so much. I appreciate you. I love you. Peace. We're out of here. See you guys on the next one. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.